you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Today is a day that churches around our nation have set aside to pray in regards to the sanctity of human life, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, as you've seen in that video, to help the church so that we might help others understand that we are created in the image of God. And so as we find ourselves in today's text, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 31, I, I hope that you will see a connection, a foundation between this text and between this day, this, this day where we talk about the sanctity of human life. I want to remind you of what it is we need to pray for as this year marks the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, a decision made in 1973, the same year that I was born. I was one of the fortunate ones because I was born that year. Since that time, there's been about 49 million children who have not been born. Each year in our country, more than a million children are killed through abortion. Just to put that in perspective, last year, about 3.9 million children were born in our nation. That means that more than 20% did not get a chance at life. And to put that in an even greater perspective, consider that here in our Commonwealth of Kentucky, we have about 4 million residents. That's the equivalent of our entire state being wiped off the face of the map in four years. Statistics tell us that one in three women will have an abortion by the age of 45. And while proponents of abortion often want to say that these are needed for health reasons, for other reasons, the reality is that even according to secular resources, 75% said the baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. And so they chose to abort. Unless we think... At least we think that this is not an issue that affects us in this room, us in the church. We need to remember that two-thirds of women having abortions profess to be Christians. And it's not just abortion that we need to pray about this morning. We need to pray for the orphans. We don't know exactly how many orphans there are in the world, but estimates are that there are between 150 million and 200 million orphans today. Many in countries like Russia, which recently passed legislation barring the United States from adopting children from these orphanages. Children will grow up with no hope. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for our elderly as we see countries, and even in our own country, this influence towards euthanasia, towards taking away the life from those that we feel no longer have anything to offer. There is much for us to pray for this Lord's Day, and so please consider these things as we read through a text that tells us that our dignity is founded in our Creator who made us in His image. Let me read this for us and then pray for our time this day. Beginning in verse 24 of Genesis 1. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply 
and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. If you would, pray with me. Father, we we have much to pray for this morning. Certainly, Lord, we want to remember, as we've already mentioned, uh, those who have no voice. Lord, I specifically want to pray for those mothers, for those couples who even this Lord's Day are considering ending the life of a child. I pray, God, that they would not. Lord, as we prayed earlier during our offering for those taking office, Lord, I I pray for those, Lord, who have no conviction and seem to not understand the reality of what is taking place in these abortion clinics and places around our country where lives are ending. God, I pray for repentance. I pray for change. God, I pray that we as a church will be a voice for those who have no voice. I pray, God that you would help us to see, rooted in this text, that every life has value and every life has purpose. I pray, God, that you would help us as we look at this text to be burdened for those children around the world who have no parents, who have no homes. Lord, I pray you would help us as we look at this text to get an understanding of what it means to be created in the image of our Creator. Father, thank you that we can come to you and pray for these things the power of the Spirit, in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know that we've begun our study of Genesis. We began with the foundation in the first two verses that God is our Creator, a foundation on which everything else in Scripture rests. And we've spoken about how you cannot dissect what we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, 1-11. through You can't, can't separate this from the rest of Scripture. You can't allegorize this apart from everything else. We see a foundation here that everything else in the Bible rests on. And we continue in our study by looking at the first five days of creation and the the amazing structure, the the order to that creation, an order that has great purpose. And that has led us to our study today as we look at the sixth day of creation. And as we look at this, I, I pray and I hope that you and I will get a deeper burden of what it means to be created in the image of God and And what it means that we are all created in God's image and how that should affect how we live, how we treat others, and ultimately how it should affect us going to the world with the gospel to those who do not know Christ. So we're going to walk through this and I just want to point out several things. First of which is this, number one, that it's very clear in this text that God created us in His image. We pick up in day six with God creating the the livestock, the beasts of the field, much like on day five when He created the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea. We see Him continuing in this uh, creation order. Uh, But something very unique then happens on day six after He creates the the beast of the fields, the, the livestock. The text tells us that He creates man and it tells us that His creation of man is uniquely, distinctly different than anything else He's created up until this point. Just look at the number of times in verse 26, verse 27, 
that we're reminded of of our Creator and being created in the image of our Creator. It it says, let us. This is the first indication we have in the, the Bible in Genesis 1 of our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, says God created us in His own image. In the image of God, He created Him. Understanding that we are created in the image of God has great implications on our life. One implication is that we see that we are separated from the rest of creation. Evolutionary thought would tell us that there is no separation, that that we just kind of evolve. We're further down the chain. There's no distinction other than we're further gone. And yet the Scripture tells us something very different. It says that, that God created, and in that creation, He created something special in His creation of man. Special in that we are created in the image of God. The, the animals are not in the image of God. The plants are not in the image of God. The land and the sea is not in the image of God. Man is created in the image of God. There's a separation there. We need to understand that. Many people don't. A number of years ago, Sandy and I bought a home that needed some, some care. And it had a lot of landscaping that had kind of grown up and weeds in it. And it was all just a big mess. And so I decided one day that rather than try to sort through it, I was just going to rip a bunch of it out. And so I got out there beside the house and I start pulling out all these weeds, all these flowers, all these plants. As I'm pulling these things out, I just hear this, this scream from the road behind me. Stop! I thought, you know, someone's standing in the road, they're about to get hit, there's an accident going on here, and I turned to find one of my neighbors that I didn't know very well yet, I got to know after this, screaming at me, saying, stop pulling those plants! I thought, okay, and so we started to talk, and I was a little startled, and she said, what are you doing? I was pulling some plants. She said, well, why are you doing that? You're killing them. Well, they look pretty dead already, but... And I'm cleaning this area out. And she said, well, they're living, they're alive, you're killing them. Can I have them? Well, okay, you can have them. By this point, I wanted her to kind of move on. So let her borrow my wheelbarrow, threw all the living dead plants in it, and she took them. And I found out sometime later as I talked more with this family that what was taking place here is her, her understanding is that everything in the world has a living force and a life force and we're all connected and so there's life in the plant, there's life in the person, we're all connected in some way. And that may sound very bizarre to some of us, but but the reality is that that thought has infiltrated a great deal of things. And so you have people who will treat their plants better than they will treat people. Many spend more money on the health care of their dog than we spend trying to reach out to orphans around the world. We, we have confused things a bit. We need to understand there's a distinction. We're made in the image of God. We are distinct from the rest of creation. Second implication of being created in the image of God is that because we are created by God, we are responsible to God. Again, evolutionary thought tells us we come from creation, so we're never, really not responsible to anyone. Why? Because we're, we're just from this. We are products of our environment. 
being made in the image of God, says, no, we are creations of God. And after the fall in sin, God may allow us to be placed in very difficult, very awful environments, but we are not products of them. And yet, think of how many times you and I have said or perhaps heard someone say, well, I suppose that person really couldn't help it. I mean, look at where they're from. Well, yeah, it's really terrible what they're doing, but you know, you know their, their family. And what we are doing is we are siding with those who say that we're simply products of what's around us, and yet the Scripture says, oh no, oh no, we are creations of God. And God can snatch us up out of even the most dire circumstances, and He can still use us for His glory. We don't have to live in what we're born in. We don't have to live under that sin, under that depravity. God can still use us. Why? Because we're created in His image, and He will redeem us and use us for His glory. I was reminded of this just this week. I was watching a testimony of a, a friend of a friend of mine who's partnered together in this ministry called 20 Schemes. The, the goal of this ministry is to plant churches in the most impoverished areas of Scotland. Uh, their schemes are essentially what we might call ghettos here. It's areas where everyone's just kind of forgotten these people. There's great poverty. There's great crime. And there's this pastor in Scotland named Mes McConnell who has a great burden for these folks because that's what he came out of. He talked in his testimony about how he, he was bounced around from home to home, how his parents were really just not there, how at a young age he was arrested and he was in prison, and yet in the midst of that, our great sovereign creator God reached down and saved him and redeemed him, and now he is part of a movement that's planting churches all over these impoverished areas of Scotland. It was a reminder to me that we are not to look and say, oh yeah, you know where they're from. But we are to look at people and say they are in the image of God and God can use any of us to do anything for His glory and for His purposes. Another implication of us being created in the image of God is that we are responsible for how we treat one another and how we act towards one another. Some of you may have grown up in an environment where this was not the case. Where you were taught that based on a person's nationality based on their skin color that they were lesser of a person you were taught wrong the scripture tells us we are all creations of God bearing the image of God and to look towards someone else as lesser is an assault on the understanding that we are created in the image of God you are not insulting them you're insulting their and your creator the church has been on the wrong side of that for a lot of history. And we need to repent of our racism, of our pride, of our sin. And understand that how we treat one another, it's, it's, it's based in understanding that we are, we are created in the image of God. And that's why when you look at the Scripture, everything comes back to that. We know that the Scripture says, do not murder. Do you know why it says do not murder? Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed. Why? For God created man in his own image. Murder is not just a crime against that person. It's a crime against God who created them. We are made in the image of God. That's why we're not to kill one another. It's not just that. Speaking ill of people is wrong. 
Not just because it's wrong to speak bad about people, because it's rooted in the understanding of who people are. That's why in James chapter 3, when James is talking about the wickedness of the tongue and the evilness of the tongue and all the bad things the tongue can do, he says this, verse 9, With the tongue we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Why should we not curse them? Because they are image bearers of God. Understanding that we're created in God's image has great implications. It it implicates that we are not to treat each other differently. We see that ultimately, the issues we prayed about today, abortion, genocide, euthanasia, these, these things are wrong because they attack the very creation that we see here in Genesis 1, that we are made in God's image. We are created in God's image. Not just that. Verse 27 shows us, point two in your notes, that God created us distinctly male and female. In creation it says, so God created man in his own image. That word man is essentially mankind, humankind, all of us. He's created all of us in his image. But then there's distinction in creation because it says in the image of God, he created him male and female. There's glory in that. There's distinction in that. And yet, when you look at our culture, it is trying to do away with any distinction between male and female. Perhaps you've seen stories in the news over the last few years of families around the world who are trying this experiment where they want to they raise their child in a genderless environment. They're not going to tell I read one story of a family that they would not tell anyone in a birth announcement whether their child was a boy or a girl. They, they gave them kind of a neutral name. They let them dress sometimes as one, sometimes as another. Why? Because they don't want they, they, they to stereotype. They don't want to influence that child. They just want to let that child grow and develop. And what they are creating is an enormous mess. And you don't have to go to those bizarre situations to see it. You can look in our own communities. You can look in our own country. You can look at people who have great confusion in this area. And you can see this attack on, on gender. You can, you can see it just in real simple ways. I remember when we, first, when we had our first child, we had our son. I had a relative I was talking to. And she was telling me about the evils and woes of giving little boys toy guns. Because toy guns make boys into a aggressive, violent people. Okay, I don't want an aggressive, violent son, but I didn't go with her on the toy gun thing. But Parker was little, you know, we, he wasn't, you know, we didn't have a militia set up in the house or anything, so uh, he didn't really have any at first. And I remember one day I was at Lowe's, and he was probably one or two years old, and I would bought a piece of PVC pipe, and we're, we're going through Lowe's now. We had not just watched some military show. I mean, we watched Sesame Street or something that morning. But I looked down, and there's my one or two-year-old son with this piece of PVC in his hand, pointing at everybody, just going, pow, 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 pow. <laughs> And I thought, glory. Thank you, Lord. My boy's a boy. Don't kill everybody with a piece of PVC. I didn't teach that. I thought it was humorous, the same relative. Not so long after that, we were at a Christmas gathering again. She would not allow her boy to have any guns or anything. And I watched him as he picked up one of his cousin's Barbie dolls, bent it over, pointed it, and started shooting people. (laughs) There's a distinction that we don't teach. It's there. Boys are boys. Girls are girls. There are times when, I think because of our culture and different, there are muddied waters. 
But we see in the creation mandate, God distinctly creates male and female, and He creates in that way for a purpose. There, there, there's a goodness in this distinction God has given us. And yet, we see a great attack on it. We see an attack even within the church. We see an attack on the, the way we view men and women as if to, to say there's distinction... We're looked at as saying people aren't equal, and that's not what the case is. We are equal before God, but God has given us different roles and responsibilities. That's why you look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 does say, wives, submit to your husbands. But you know what it says after that? Husbands like that first part. You know what it says after that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How He gave His life for the church. How He sacrificed himself for the purity of the church. Husbands, live in such a way that your wife might be presented pure and holy before her Creator God one day. I've yet to have a woman come to me in counseling and say, I'm really struggling with this submission issue because my husband just loves me so much. And it's like every day he's trying to figure out another way to die to himself and to serve me. And I'm just having real trouble submitting to that. There's role, there's distinction for a purpose. And if we're going to understand it, we need to understand all of it. And to understand all of it, we have to look to our God who created it. And He created these issues of leadership and submission because within Him there are issues of leadership and submission. Within the triune God, we see the Son doing what? We see the Son submitting to the Father. That's why you see Jesus in the Gospel saying things like, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of Him who sent me. What is He saying? Christ is saying, I am submitting to the Father. That's why we see Jesus in the garden on the eve of His betrayal and arrest. He's praying in essence, God, I don't want this. He knows what's coming. God, if there's any way, let this cup just move on by me. But not my will, Your will be done. Christ is the model of submission to the will of the Father. And then we see the Spirit sent forth from the Son. We see role, responsibility, submission, all that function within the Trinity. And God, the Godhead, He creates us in what? In His image, with distinction, for a purpose. And no amount of experiments with not naming a child in a way to give away whether he's a boy or girl is going to change that. There's glory in it and there's goodness in it. And yet we see... How in our sin, we rebel against it. We rebel against His image. We rebel against this distinction. Point three, God created us with responsibility for other parts of His creation. Not only is He our Creator, not only did He create us in His image, not only did He create us with distinction, He's given us responsibility for all these other things. And yet here we see great confusion as well. Because on one side we have people who care too little or not at all for creation. And on the other side we have people who care far too much and get to the point of worshiping creation. And yet what does God's Word tell us? It says, He commanded us to, be, to subdue, to have dominion over. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, before the fall when God brings Adam and Eve into, into His sanctuary, and He puts Adam and Eve there in the garden, He says, you are to work it and keep it. We tend to view work as a byproduct of the fall. Here we see work came before the fall. What comes with work after the fall is thorns and pain and sweat. Before the fall, there is 
a responsibility given to man to work and to subdue and to care and to cultivate. And yet we see how the fall has tragically affected that. So we have those on this end who basically just say, well, it's all going to burn anyways, you know. They don't care anything about creation. Partly, I think, because they're so scared that they're going to get accused of worshiping creation. Because you have people on this side who, like that neighbor I used to have, think that the plants have life force. And they they literally worship their creation. They do what Romans tells us. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worship creation and the creatures instead of the Creator. But I fear that we're so scared of that because that is sin and that is wrong that we go all the way over here and we, we fail to recognize what creation is. God created this for His glory and He created it to provide. And it says very specifically in Genesis 1, the fruit trees, the vegetation, that this is to provide. He's given us this to provide for us. We need to care for it to continue in that provision and receive it. We know that sin has affected everything. We know that this earth will not last. We know that God will give us a new heaven and a new earth one day, but that is no excuse then to disregard what we read in Genesis 1. We are given the task to work it, to keep it, to cultivate it. And we need to be careful that we don't go to those extremes in the process. Point four, God created us holy, but now we are depraved. What we see as we follow through this creation mandate how God has created everything and, and we see this statement that God makes after creating on these different days. It was so. It was good. And we talked last week about how we really need to figure out some new words in our vocabulary because good for us is real different than good here and how we describe things that are good as kind of mediocre sometimes and yet this word good as it's used here is on a whole nother level of awesomeness and excellence that we can't even comprehend. I mean, that God, out of nothing, creates the world, and He separates land and seas, and, and He creates, and He says, it's good. We don't even know how to use that word good. And yet, what does day 6 present us with? Verse 31, God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was Very good. You can't even figure it out. It's amazing. It's awesome. He's looking at Adam and Eve and he's saying, they are very good. They are the pinnacle of my creation. They will worship me. This is how it should be. And yet we know how the story goes. They didn't stay very good for long. God places them in the garden And as we'll see as we continue in this study, they sin and they rebel against God. And the fall takes place and it ravages everything. Principle of which is this relationship between God and man where previously they had fellowship, perfect fellowship. It was very good. Now there's separation. And here's the great tragedy of all of this is that you and I have somehow bought into a notion that what God made very good, what sin has broken, that we somehow think in our efforts, we can be very good again. And that's why you'll talk to so many people who 
They may not step foot in this church or another, but they'll say, you know, I think I'm going to be okay because I'm going to stand before God one day and He's going to say, well, I should let you in. I'll just say, well, I tried to be very good. We see God's standard for very good in Genesis 1. Anybody think they've been this? Perfect, without blemish, holy and righteous? You really think we're going to stand before God and He's going to be impressed because we have a little bit of money, a little bit of time to a charity because we didn't beat our kids as many times as we thought we should or whatever else? You think we're going to impress Him by saying, well, you know, when people were mean to me, I tried not to be quite as mean to them. I tried to be pretty good. No. Separation. And we see in the Scripture how this plays out. One day... Eternal wrath. But the great hope that we have is that God in His glory, He looks at this, He says it's very good. We distort it. We, we sin. We fall. We rebel. You and I, we, we've been doing it ever since. And God in His love and His mercy and His grace, there was still something that was very good. Creation was blemished. Man was fallen. But God is still good. And so it would take God sending His Son who is good to restore this relationship. That Christ might go to the cross and die, not for anything He did, but for our sin. The Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, before you and I were born, God knowing our sin, Jesus died on the cross for it. Why? That we might be restored into that relationship with Him as we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. That you and I might experience not Genesis 1. We can't go back in time and experience that. But we will experience Revelation 21. And we will experience this great Creator God creating a new heaven and a new earth where we will spend eternity bringing Him glory. And we're not going to get there because we didn't cheat on a few tests. We're going to get there not because of what we've done, but because... Just like He's the one who's done everything in Genesis 1, He's the one that does it throughout the Scripture. And the only way you and I will be in His presence one day will be by repenting and placing our faith in the One who truly is very good. Christ Jesus, our Lord and our King. So you consider Genesis 1 this morning. I hope you will consider that we are all image bearers of God. And I hope that you'll consider if there's any person or people that you have viewed as less than that, I hope you will repent of that because it's sin. I hope that you'll see that there's great distinction and role and responsibility the way God created us right down to our gender. I hope if you've rebelled against that, that you will repent and you'll have faith. I, I, I hope that for those who are here who perhaps have gone through the motions and tried to be good and maybe you joined this church a long time ago, I talked to someone this week, joined this church four decades ago, and hasn't been in this church for decades since. And the security they had kept coming back to, well, I'll always be a member of Bloomfield Baptist Church. We will have people who will experience eternity in hell under the wrath of God, and the whole time they may say, but I was a member of Bloomfield Baptist Church. It doesn't matter if you walked an aisle when you were seven years old. The issue is, have you truly, authentically repented and placed your faith in Christ? Do you live in submission to Him and His Word? Are you existing for His glory and not your own? And if that's not the case this Lord's Day, 
and repent and have faith. Because that's where our hope lies. If you would stand and pray with me. Father, we do pray this day, again, for those who have no voice, as we were reminded as we began, Lord, of the not, not thousands, not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, Lord, millions upon millions who have lost the opportunity at life because of our sin. Father, I pray that we would repent and that we would return to you and your word. I pray, God, for those who, as they hear this text this morning, perhaps they are trying to push it away, trying to hold it as a distance because they know if they truly listen to this word from you that they need to repent of sin in their life. I pray that they would repent. I pray for any here who, who their security has been resting in a title or a certificate or something that happened four decades ago. And I pray that their security, Lord, they would repent of that and that it would rest in Christ. Lord, we can have security as a believer, but not in what we've done. Only what you've done through him. Father, I pray for whatever else you may have revealed to some this morning. Sin they need to repent of. Relationships that need to be restored. Attitudes that need to be repented. Lord, whatever it is, I pray, God, that we wouldn't leave this place without deciding to through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to step out in faith and to make the decisions you called us to make. Lord, I pray for any that you're leading to come and join this church, any you're leading to be baptized, any that, Lord, whatever it is, you're leading them to do something. Lord, I pray that they would respond. So we offer this time now for that. In Christ's name, amen.